All right, guys, welcome back to the Lockdown Lowdown. Uh, this time we've got myself, Alex Pope. We got Andrew Stupart over here. How you doing, everyone? And we've got Ian McDonald joining us once again. Howdy. All right, so this week we are uh, talking about our lives as salespeople, but also the, the different movies that we've loved throughout the years that are all sales related. Um, you know, I, I'm going to start off talking about uh, uh, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. I think Stupart, you wanted to talk about uh, Wall Street. And there was another one, Margin Call. Margin Call, yeah. And uh, Ian McDonald wanted to talk about Tommy Boy. Um, so yeah, we'll be, we'll be covering all of these on the Lockdown Lowdown. So thank you for joining us, guys. And maybe um, if we have a quick second, a little tiny bit of Jerry Maguire. What do you think? Sure. I want to stay in Arizona. My wife likes you. I like you. <laughs> so, repeat after me. My family motto is, wait for it, show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the money. Show me the money. No, say it like you mean it. Say it louder. Show, Show me, me the, the money. money. Show me the money. You're my motherfucker. You're my motherfucker. <laughs> Show me the money. Show me the money. And scene. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> Anyways, that's a really good opener for uh, our discussion about Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. So let's go ahead with it. <laughs> yeah. It's that, it's that um, pinnacle scene from Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Didn't you know that? Uh, yeah, didn't Tom you see Cruz, that? Uh, starred in that movie? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so yeah, we all, we all watched. Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, I think. Uh, I did. Yeah. Anyways, um, fucking amazing movie. It oh, yeah. starts out with uh, with Alec Baldwin. I don't know why get this guy gets so much flack. Alec Baldwin is the bomb in this movie. He is the boss in this movie, man. Oh my I don't, god! I don't Fantastic. have anything negative to say about Alec Baldwin. Not I don't a care thing. Does. this guy could shoot somebody and i would love him I oh swear yeah to he, God. he and, and kyle rittenhouse could just be walking down the street with their a, a, ar-15s and just you know he could he could get away with it he could do no wrong in my opinion so uh <laughs> but uh but he but he has these like iconic lines you know like coffees for closers yes anybody yes. that's ever worked in the sales industry and uh, <clears throat> again, I forgot to mention Stupar, you, you've worked in sales, oh, yeah. Ian in sales. Yeah. I worked a couple of years, uh, basically cold calling, uh, doing basically the lowest form of sales. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and like, when you say lowest form yeah, of sales, you're talking about Rogers Ventures, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, just, yeah, like basically a, a brief backstory ian worked for this company that sold uh, uh cottage listings uh this is a long time ago in toronto um ian left the company and then it was around the same time that he left the company that i started working for the company yeah and uh yeah basically we would we would phone up people that were um renting out their cottages vacation rentals 
and uh, we would just hassle them so much, like so much until they would give up that fucking credit card and just pay for a, an advertisement on our, on our service. Um, not my, not my best days. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't know how, how Ian feels about it. But character yeah. building days though, they were character building days. In a sense. Yes. <laughs> um, but I mean, like Ian might have, Ian, you might've looked at your time at cottage country different, differently than I did. Um, I really identified with Glengarry Glen Ross because in Glengarry Glen Ross, like it's raining outside, life sucks, uh, the leads suck. Um, you know, basically the, the green pastures of a, of a new business have completely dried up and you're just phoning like the same people back year, year in, year out, and you're just not getting anything. And you're, you know, your bosses are just like pressuring you to make more sales and you know, you know, threatening you and abusing you and mentally abusing you at the very least. Wait, are we and, talking about being married or are we talking about uh, <laughs> being in sales? This is this is my experience of sales. Glengarry Glen Ross is my experience of being. No, in I sales. just I heard about verbally abusing and and a boss telling you what to do, and I thought this was uh, your relationship. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have I have actually a, a pretty decent relationship. I'm just joking. I'm joking. Thank you. you know, your Thank fiance you. is lovely, and I and I only meant that as a joke. She's lovely. She's lovely. She's fantastic. Um, yeah, no, that, I, that I hear my... you, man. I was gonna yeah. say I hear you, like, and I I remember talking to you about these sales days, and like at first you were so excited because if, if this is the same company, this is the same company like that Rogers Ventures thing, right? Same, same thing, right? The cottage thing. Yeah. Okay. So I remember you telling me about this and like, you were so excited because you hit a couple extra sales and you were one of the top people in the, in the office. So you got like a bonus on top of your commission. And I remember you, I distinctly remember you being like on top of the world at the beginning, but what, what happens is that those are first a couple initial, initial wins you'll give you a really big dopamine hit because you made a sale, you made a sale and you feel great. You feel on top of the world and you calculate the commission in your head and you're like, Oh, I can get a new, you know, pair of shoes or a new car or whatever, whatever it happens to be that's in your sights um, based on that commission. Right. And, and all salesmen are like that. Right. And when they start off, but what happens is it, that you slowly realize that you always have to be at that level, if not better and if you're not careful, you burn out all your good leads first. And I remember that was one of the mistakes that I did when I was at um, selling ads in like these student publications. Talk talk about, you know, terrible sales jobs and just a terrible product. We were selling um, like little black, sometimes black and white, sometimes color, like um, uh, basically like small ads or sometimes half page or full page ads in these uh, student agendas. So they would, these are all the student daytimers that would be used across a university campus, across how many different universities that we had contracts with. Um, basically we had contracts with their students, with their student um, corporations, like the student unions or whatever, to sell this advertising so they could raise money for their student union. So we were kind of like their sales agency. And so on top of that, we also sold like uh, half page and full page and quarter page in the yearbooks as well. And back in the year 2000, this would have been a great company to work for because it has a very it has the eyeballs of a lot of students, right? And fast forward to 2015, 
everyone's in digital, everyone's doing YouTube, everyone's doing display media. Um, even, you know, TV and radio are starting to, to, to kind of, uh, they've hit maturity and they're starting to not fizzle out, but decline. And so of course, print is not a good place to be. And, and our sales were abysmal. And I remember be, being so excited at first uh, when I would get like, I would reload my customers from last year. It's called a reload. When you, when you have, you bring someone back for a, a, a um, like a, a renewed customer, basically. And I would get so excited. And then later, it's just like, you burn through your good leads. You're not having a good month. You have to do all this cold calling. You have no, you've, you've gone through all your like renew. So you have to start over again with like the hardcore deep cold calling. And it is like 99 rejections for one. Yes. And, and if you're not hitting your numbers, like shit flows downward. And I remember that like the owner of the company would shit on the sales manager. And then the sales manager would shit on us. And when you feel like you're being shit on, it actually brings your more uh, morale down and it actually makes you less confident, confident on the phone. Correct me if I'm wrong, gentlemen. No, that that's exactly it. I mean, when you're, sure. when you're on the sales floor, like you're basically a drug addict, mm-hmm. uh, you know, not, and, and, and I don't, I don't want to say that in a bad way. Like I have a lot of respect for the salespeople that work yeah. at my company. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they help make my job possible. Yeah. Um, but, but when, especially when you're working at a shitty sales job, yeah. um, you're just like, you're, you're looking for that next dopamine hit. And yeah. if you go long enough without getting that hit, yeah. then your sales just tank. And then yeah. you're in this rut that you just can't seem to climb your way exactly, out. Exactly. Exactly. And it's so fucking depressing. And, and that rut is so well demonstrated in this movie. Um, you know, like, like uh, Sheldon Levine, uh, yeah. uh, Shelly, uh, played by Shelley. Jack. I think like he's by far my favorite character in the yeah. movie um, because he's just this guy that's just down on his luck. His nickname is, is uh, Shelly the Machine Levine. Um, so obviously, like at some point in his career, he yeah. was he would was a really good salesman, and he probably crushed it. Um, but obviously, like things have dried up since then. And you're so empathetic in the beginning of the movie. You're you're very empathetic to this character. He's this old guy that like, fuck, he should be retired by now. He shouldn't be having to struggle and like you know call up you know. Uh, you know, some guy in the middle of the night hassling him about selling some some property or an investment opportunity or something like that. Like it's it's really kind of sad. Yeah. But then on the on the other hand, you know, later on in the movie, after he actually closes a deal, he he's sort of like walking through his strategy and he's telling he's like so cocky. He's he's got that like big rush of yes. uh, dopamine yes and he's telling the other guys this is how i did it and you know basically i talked to them for hours and hours and then i just sat there in silence with a pen holding a pen out in my hand and just said sign (laughs) sign the dotted line you know and uh i'm doing a terrible uh impression Uh, but but then he 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 says like the the couple that he was talking to they looked at him for a few minutes and then they just slumped. And it's just like, it's so poetic. Like it's, that is exactly it. I mean, it's, it's, 
it's um, hassling someone and hassling someone until they just give up. And it's like the most depressing way for somebody to make a sale. <laughs> like and, and the thing is, he was so excited after after making that sale and like his whole um, stature, like his whole, the way he presented himself, his body language, complete 180 in front of the other guys in the office. And to your point, he was very arrogant, cocky and kind of, and kind of like the king of the castle for a good couple hours until his sales manager, office manager, uh, Kevin Spacey turned around and said, Oh, by the way, their credit cards are no good, basically, and this yeah. is not a, not, not a legitimate sale. Totally and, burst his bubble. Oh, he burst his bubble, and that's the worst thing you can do. Like, I remember getting um, a full page ad one time, which is like the highest thing you could sell, pretty much, um, in this uh, in this yearbook. And the yearbook books were more expensive to sell the one page ad in. So I was on top of the world. And a couple of weeks later, I had to like realize that it was like not a legit client, and they were just like like kind of scamming me a little bit on the like scamming me back or whatever and it was the they were, they were just I, stringing you along they were stringing or? me along and i had to take that money off the board and off the books and there's nothing worse than having that sale and then telling your boss you have to take it off the books it is especially mm. when sales are low and you're like oh by the way we're also you know fifteen hundred dollars or two thousand dollars lower because of this sorry wow yeah so, it's, that's it's a bummer uh, we've been uh, talking a lot, Ian. What are your What are your yeah. thoughts on uh, Glenn Gary, buddy? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's incredible. Uh, it's It's a really well done movie. Uh, I'm I'm kind of in Alex's corner there. I have no idea why Alec Baldwin's getting all this all this uh, flack right now. Like, I think he's a great actor. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, it's. I mean, there's there's no. Uh, Two ways about it. It has one of the most famous and iconic lines, right? The ABC copies for closers, um, and uh, yeah, I think every salesperson at one time or another has referred to, to that book um, or that that movie. Uh, but yeah, like and and sharing the same sentiment as both of you around around sales. I mean. I, I've, I've been listening to each one of the stories and uh, I, I really do chalk sales uh, enjoyment and then in turn success and getting some sort of like personal gain from it as well, I think is really important, like growth. Uh, I think it really does depend on a few things. It depends on the company you're working for and the product, like actually believing, believing the product um that they, that it is going to help somebody in some way to alex's point if like we're trying to sell through a listing on a website for somebody's cottage and we know it's going to be ranked like 50th cottage and they probably won't get any so anyone actually using it it does sort of feel like highway robbery and i think working for a company during to you to what you said i uh, Stupart of like this found the, the foundational years of when you're actually developing your chops and sales and learning it and everything. If, if you're working for a company like that um, and also having a boss uh, who's supportive and not emotionally abusive and, and has your best interest in mind and it like, and there's a, a range of different styles of bosses but I think in a, in a 
a roller, an emotional roller coaster job like sales, I think it's so important to have a stable boss who understands the game and, and teaches you a lot of things outside of the norms. Like those types of things while developing your sales career are just crucial because it's, it's really the make or break. It's whether it's, it's, it's going to determine whether you stay in sales or not. I was, I guess, lucky enough to like be like go from a cottage country. Um, because I was having too good of a time. I organized uh, an internal pool league uh, and, had Excel, and had Excel files for each person uh, at the company and was coming over and forcing them to play pool during the day because it was their time time slot. <laughs> so, uh, so, so I guess that wasn't as encouraging for the, for the team, but uh, I was fortunate enough to be let go. And then I landed on uh, at, a, at a great company selling a great product. It was Kijiji. And that was like night and day calling customers because I could actually tell like this was going to help them. And uh, yeah, so I think those things are paramount uh, for when you're working in sales. Like if you're fortunate enough to um, be able to find something that is going to help somebody because like, Alex, you're still in sales. In a sense, like, like a smaller part of my job is sales, but. Yeah, but and I think everybody in, in one way or another is in sales. Like Rich Dad Poor Dad, um, he said he has these 10 rules of success and one of them is become good at sales. And that just simply means talking to people, showing, being able to show value in something. And, and you have to be empathetic. You have to understand like where they're coming from and be sincere, all of those things. It's very hard to build those skills with a company that you just do not see as like actually helping somebody. So anybody that's ever attended a job interview has been a salesperson, at least in that moment. Oh yeah, right. definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I think it's, yeah. it's so true. And like, like you're, I think there's like a few elements to whether or not you can be a good sales person at a company and, and yeah like number one like you you have to believe in the product at least yeah. a little bit yes. unless you're a complete psychopath like there, like i certainly know plenty of people that can can sell people um you know just complete crap and, yeah. and they do it anyways and they're pretty good at it but you know for for the average person like myself or, or you guys you have to believe in the product. Yeah. And, you know, like when, when I was working for cottage country, it was like, you know, we had access to these people's accounts after we would sell them a listing. And I would look somebody up that I sold a listing two years ago. And I would look at their account and be like, they've gotten like six, uh, um, like six people have clicked on the ad oh. and maybe one person has actually contacted them, yeah. sent yeah. them a message or something like that. And, you know, and it's not like we were like killing them, like making that much money either. Right. Like it was also kind of the realization that like, this is not a very profitable enterprise. Like, cause yeah. you know, we, you know, it was so money focused. Everybody was so money, money, money hungry, right? But at the end of the day, like I looked at my T4 return and it's like, I'm a pretty decent salesperson at the company. Maybe not like in the top two, 
but you know, in the probably in the top five or six. Yeah. And uh, and I look at my T4 slip, and I made thirty eight thousand oh. dollars last. You know, it's like I could have worked at Starbucks and done a bunch of overtime, yeah. and and that yeah. would have been like I would have made more money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think something that people forget is that uh, if you're not having a good month, not only is it affecting the bottom line of the company because salespeople are the the backbone of the company 100 percent if there is if there are no sales there is no company there are no clients you're this the company's nothing but if they're having a bad week or a bad month or a bad quarter they're not making commission which means that they're making their base pay and even like in these more professional type sales jobs like not entry level but maybe one step up even then the base pay is not that much like maybe 30 maybe 30k something like that um, 35, maybe, maybe 40 K, um, based. And that's like pretty high. I would, I would consider. Um, so it's, you know, people, it's like, again, goes back to the morale thing. Cause if you're not, not only are, is your boss shitting on you, but you're also not earning as much as you were before during the good times. And it, and it becomes, um, stressful because you have a very unpredictable paycheck. I mean, my fiance, runs a nail salon. So technically she is a salesperson. She is a business owner. She's a business operator. Um, she also is a technical person who actually does the um, esthetician work, like the nail technical art and all that sort of stuff and, and the bio gel, all this sort of stuff. But she's also a salesperson. And the thing about in our, in our household is that at least my income is stable. I work in marketing. I actually support salespeople with my advertisements, generating leads for them. And I do have targets, but at the same time, those targets don't come with commission or with any sort of bonuses necessarily. So my paycheck is the same every single week. Whereas my fiance or someone in sales has a very fluctuating um, paycheck and it, and it is stressful on that level as well. And Ian, I know that you were going to chime in because I sort of cut you off. So what were you going to add? No, no problem at all. No, like, I mean, on that point, you're right. And and but when you think about sales, I mean, it's uh, it's it's honestly like um, like I like I wish I could like coach junior salespeople in like a few different ways because they they do see it as like one individual product, but you are working on sales every single day, and it's just working on becoming like more empathetic, understanding people and things like that to get on the same page as them. I think is massively important. Um, but, uh, but like, yeah, in that, in that frame, it's like frame lines. So it's like, we're even salespeople for like finding our, our girls, like you guys, both fat girls that you're engaged to. And like, you sold them. <laughs> you sold them yourself. You know what I mean? So I like, mean, I brought, I bribed mine and I uh, made sure she could stay in the country. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. No, no, yeah. no, no. She was, she yeah, was PR. So. She was PR before she met me. I'm just joking around. There's nothing, <laughs> nothing funny behind happening behind the scenes here. We have yeah. a committed, normal relationship. But you're right in the sense yeah. that it's like it's like what he said about a job interview. Um, it's the same thing with relationships. You are selling some. You are selling yourself to someone, and and, and in a very friends. intimate way. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's funny. My my, uh, my lovely wife and I were uh, discussing. Uh, baby, it's cold outside. It's oh. it's just 
it's almost the the Christmas season, and we love that song. Um, but uh, but the cancel culture is trying to cancel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cold outside, basically, yeah. saying like he's sort of insisting that she stay, and she's clearly uh, saying that she's not consenting, right? And I I fundamentally oppose that because I think um, I think that there is an element of persuasion at the beginning of every single relationship. At least one of the of the two people is persuading the other person that you know well, I'm also a good, I'm a good like, cat. You should yeah. Stay the also night. in in today's day and age, I think doing something like that would be weird. But back then. Like, it's just how the culture was. And, like, guys, they they wouldn't have been, um, they wouldn't have been seen as being, like, immoral or, like, the craziest guy for, for doing something like that and just being like, no, baby, stay, baby, stay. Like, that was just the norm then. Like, everybody yeah. did it. Yeah. So, like, the fact that we're recognizing and that in like the cultures evolve over time it just takes time right and the fact that we've recognized that that stuff isn't the normal like now is is a different normal which is great but is it different though means- I mean, honestly ian have you never been in a situation where you're you're with a girl you're at the very beginning of your relationship and you're just like you're trying to convince them to stay the night and they don't really want to stay the night or they've got some other obligations or something like that. And like, you're just like, have you, you never force, been in you force yourself Honestly, on. have you never been in that? Jeez, this, this conversation is starting to take a bit of a turn that I don't, I don't know where it's going, man. I no, know what you're, so, I know what you're trying I, to say. And I, I'm not, I, I think you guys are applying something sinister to, to what I'm saying here. <laughs> Alex, Alex is telling us about some, uh, some RAP. <laughs> stories <laughs> pretty much no i know where you're getting alex i know you're I plenty I, of long, long-term loving very respectful relationships yeah. That, yeah. that began on a drunken night that's like come on just stay the night you know yeah. <laughs> fair enough yeah, but I, I mean i like i don't know i mean there's yeah a few different sides to 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 see that but um back to the back to the sales stuff i was just gonna say one more thing there oh Sorry, I can't turn down that road. That sucks. Uh, back to the sales thing. So um, something I actually did notice recently, uh, which is interesting, is when I switched from cottage country, which was like, I considered like burn and turn sales. You'll never talk to these people again. Uh, Alex, like kind of Alex, what Alex was saying earlier um, when he said that this has been a very saturated market each one of the sales reps at Cottage Country had a region. And once that person exhausts their region, they will probably be fired or they'll leave because they just can't sell anymore, right? So when they leave, a new joiner comes in and absorbs their region. So oftentimes somebody new is hired and they're given this region that has just been peppered and there's no like, warning or anything and then they're just like why did everybody fucking hate this company and we're like oh because six other salespeople in a row have just called the same people so like that to me is like that's that's crazy like that's uh for for me like what really opened my eyes and made made things uh 
uh, I guess made me stay and like excel in sales uh, was getting into marketing where I realized I, no matter what company I am, I am in, in, in the marketing industry, um, I'm going to be able to build my, the same book of business. So if I leave to Gigi and I go to this other company, I'm still working with the same people, the same agencies and everything else. So all of a sudden it wasn't a one phone call to try to get somebody to pay something on a credit card. It was, I'm going to try to build trust with this person and make it a little bit more long-term, get to know who they are, that they have kids and everything else and, and start actually selling them only the pieces that I want to sell them because I know that this is now a customer for life. Yeah, I, I think what you're outlining is something in the sales business that they that people refer to as hunters and farmers. Yes. And I think, yeah, ultimately you want to be a farmer uh, with with really good clients um, where they, they know you, they trust you, they come to you every year or every quarter and they spend their money with you, you know. Um, if yeah. you're in, in that type of a business, that type of an environment that allows for that, then you can have a, a very fruitful career. Um, yeah. I mean, there's definitely the hunter aspect to try to break down doors and get new, like drum up new business. But like with, with, even with that, it's like, it just, it's way different. Like, and it's also like in, in marketing, if you're in sales for one industry as well, you're constantly building up your skill set, your experience that you can leverage to each. Like when I meet with a client, I'm like, I've been in the industry over 10 years. I have this experience. I've done this and this. So like you're building credibility that way where I find like, you don't really have that working at like cottage country, right? You're just calling somebody and you're like, I'm a sales guy from cottage country. Um, And you're not really going to leverage like, past experience maybe you will maybe that would be a good idea but i just find like that's that's a little bit different as well right like if we had something like that i think it would have made us more successful and i think some people kind of did like uh there there was one guy that worked there that i guess the owner really respected him and he gave gave him um renewals right so there's one guy it was his job to basically go through oh kyle brennan oh uh it was ryan dack at at the time uh that i was there anyways and basically his job was to go through all like whenever the credit card was denied um because they would try to do auto renewals first right and when it was denied then then his job would basically to go through and just call those people say hey your credit card was denied and then basically try to resell them yeah. Um, and, and eventually they ended up giving that that position to me once he left. And uh, and honestly, that was not much better because <laughs> now yeah, you're talking to somebody. Their that credit card has, offer. Yeah. Yeah. Their credit card's been taken off or or, you know, yeah. like they're well, not having to win them back. You're trying to win them not, back like, and they've already lost their trust. Enthusiastic about I, uh, I just have to park quickly. I'm going to. Okay, I think I think we're losing. Yeah, cool. I think we're losing Ian uh, while he's going into his parking garage yeah, I here. Was, so I was just gonna say, I can be me and you. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. No worries. So I was just gonna say, like, yeah, it's like, are you a hunter, and are you just going for clothes after clothes after clothes? And that's kind of like what I was doing 
when I was hawking credit cards. And let me go back to my time, my time at Cognitive Marketing. It was an absolutely horrendous company. And I don't care that I'm saying that on this show because I do not recommend anybody to go to Cognitive Marketing. I got basically, I was very naive and I got sucked into this role. And at first it was fantastic. I worked for a product. Um, I was selling uh, uh, phone plans in a Costco on behalf of Primus. And it was actually a really good job, especially for like starting out and considering how competitive is it is in the Toronto market. Like this was a good entry-level sales job. I wasn't like destroying it in terms of like my salary and in terms of the commission I was making, but I was doing well enough for like my first sales job that I felt proud of like what I was accomplishing. I was, I was stopping people as they're walking out of this Costco and be like, Oh, I bet you I can cut your uh, Rogers or bell uh, phone bill in half. And people would actually, I remember the one guy, he's like, no, I don't care. I don't care. He's like, dude, I'm like, dude, I will cut your phone bill in half. And he, on the third try, he turned around and I fucking sold him at the table. There and you it go. was the greatest feeling because it try number one, he kept walking. He's like, no, I'm not interested. Call, try number two. No, 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 whatever. Try number three. I'm going to cut your bill in half. Yeah. Heard that Confident. turned around. And that was a great moment for me. Like I was like, I felt like literally the shark of Costco, man. And I felt Absolutely. elevated above some of these other vendors, like her in the Costco, you know how you have people selling at different stations, like the water cooler people and like all these, all this different stuff, like as you're walking out, like with your cart towards the exit in the Costco, my program was actually pretty cool and I did enjoy it. And it was me just by myself, like trying to get these Costco members to like get a, a Primus plan or a Primus internet or phone or whatever. And then what happened was the deal got, um, done, was done with, um, with, with Primus, with our company, we basically got fired from the Primus account. And so they put me over to this, like this um, Canadian tire program. And I've told you, Alex, about this Canadian tire um, gas credit card program. Basically you can get um, a credit card that's through the bank of Canadian tire. They actually have their own separate financial institution at Canadian tire. Canadian tire financial. Yeah. Yep. And they, so they have that program. It's basically like a, a bank, right. And you can get credit and so I was hawking these credit cards. Either you get two cents off per liter when you have this credit card, and it's and it's whenever you're shopping for gas at a Canadian Tire um, gas station. Or conversely, the other side of our business was handling like the in-store. Like, okay, if you if you do a certain amount of purchases, you get like a certain amount of cash back or a certain amount of um, off this purchase in terms of percentages, right? And so, shittiest program ever. Every market that I was trying to work in within Toronto, like kind of region or neighborhood within Toronto was dried up. Saturated. Everyone, saturated. Yeah. Everyone. I'll tell you, had- I actually worked, uh, I worked with a marketing company that was like partnered with Cognitive. Yeah. Um, we were doing Canadian Tire uh, financial promotions. It's kind of funny that you mentioned that because yeah. that was actually, I did this long before you worked there. So if you had just asked me, I would have told you not. not no, no, to and, it's, and it's such a, but, it is such a terrible company. I just have to like, I do have to publicly put them down a little bit because um, it just was not a good place to work. I mean, maybe if you're looking for some part-time cash as, as a student in university, but not for a full-time person, it was just a terrible experience. But you know what? It built character, kind of like the sales job that I did not too long after that when I was working at college and university advertising in Thornhill, um, you know, selling that print inventory with the student publications, 
terrible product, just like the credit card, right? And so have at least if I was not good at sales, what the job did is is help me build character. That's what the one thing I'll I'll say is that sales builds character. And how did you feel that it that it um, uh, let me rephrase that. Did you feel that it helped you uh, socially? Um, Like basically after doing sales, I feel like I can be in an uncomfortable situation and not be crawling out of my skin. I can, I can just like hold my own and, and I can just sort of, you know, pull things together and sort of make, make the conversation flow smoothly again. That's not a skill that I had before, um, before I was in sales where I would basically be doing that all day, every day. And it's definitely a confidence builder to your point, because you're really interacting with strangers. And it's like when I have to interact with my uh, RRSP, like financial advisor guy, like my finance guy, it's, it's, you're just doing paperwork, whatever, and doing stuff with over the phone with him, very mundane stuff, but he'll like take the time to like, actually have a little bit of small talk with you, even if it's about something dumb, just to like, not make you feel like you're like, he's just like, it's just a, um, mechanical interaction you know what i mean and i think it's like that having having to make small talk with these strangers over the phone you've never seen in person and having to like relate to them on some level even though it's really just a transaction i think that's what's translating over to your um heightened social skills yeah there's no question i mean there's there's benefits to it um you know and obviously it kind of goes back to the analogy that we used um, in a previous podcast where I said, in order to make the engine of society, the engine of, of commerce work, yeah. you need to have oil. It's yeah. like you almost need to have these greasy salespeople that just sort of make the engine work. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like the fact of the matter is, is there's so many businesses that, you know, if you just set up shop and put, put a big, um, you know, uh, a big billboard on the side of your building, not a single fucking person is going to walk into your business and buy what you have to sell. You have to go out there. You have to talk to people, bring them in, tell them what you offer. And somebody has to do the dirty work to actually just like get these relationships moving. And that's what makes like sales makes the the world go round. It's true. It's true. So, so, other, so on the one hand, I have this immense respect, but at, on the other hand, like, I, I think that there's this really gray area between a legitimate sales job and yeah. a predatory sales job. And the company that I work for right now, I'm, I, I'm not going to name names or anything, but, you know, generally my company uh, does everything above board. They do everything very legally and legit. However, um, the company did buy another company that in the past um, had not behaved in such a way. Um, this, this other company had basically gone door to door looking for um, elderly people, senile, uh, senile people that really should not be making financial decisions. They would look for mentally disabled people and, and they would basically put them in high pressure situations and force them into legally binding contracts yeah. that would 
mean that they would be paying more for their furnace or more for their like dinky little humidifier than they were for their mortgage on their house yeah. uh, or their their or their rent payment or or whatever it is and i know these people because every once in a while i get sent to you know service their equipment and i go in there and it's like they've got a water softener they've got a humidifier they've got a furnace they've got an air conditioner yeah, yeah, they've got yeah. They've got a, a UV filter. Yeah. They've got some sort of other hydrosonic water softener. Pretty much something. anything that like, they could get they, upsold on, <laughs> they got upsold on. I hear you. Absolutely. Yeah. And they, like, they would not only sell uh, and lock these people into ridiculous contracts where they're paying like thousands of dollars a month and they have no way out. Uh, no legal way out of this contract. And it's like a 25 year contract. It's just insane. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's not even just that they would do that, but I would, I would see, I would talk to these people and say, so this salesperson just came in and sold you all this stuff. And they'd be like, no, the salesperson came in one month and they sold me the humidifier. And then the next month they came back and they sold me the furnace. And then the next month they came back and they sold me the air conditioner. And then the next month, they, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like they would actually find somebody that was just mentally not able to hold their own. And yeah. they would yeah. just keep coming back like a, like a savage predator. Man. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it's pretty sick, man. And honestly, I've been there. I've done that. I've been guilty of it. And you feel a little bit guilty, right? N number one to Ian's point and kind of like what we were talking before. Sometimes it's just a crappy product. The, the credit cards that I was hawking, I didn't believe in them. I didn't love them. The, the um, print advertisement media that I was selling wasn't, I knew that it was ineffective, right? But the other thing is like, that's one side of it, but the other dark side of it is even darker, like what you say with misleading people, um, tricking people, getting them to sign on the line when they think that they're getting only one product, but they're actually signing for this warranty and this aftercare service and this and that and the other accessory and locking them into these long contracts. And I've been guilty and I feel terrible, but I will share a story and then I want to move on because I have a good transition to our next film. Um, cool. <laughs> I, I do want to say that when I was hawking these credit cards, we went on a uh, sales trip up to Sudbury and Ian's back on, so glad you could come in, Ian. Th uh, thanks for joining us back again, Ian. We're, we're uh, happy to have you back. So I'm just, Ian, I'm just um, saying a story, and then we're going to lead into the next film. I was hawking these credit cards, and we actually went up to Sudbury on a sales trip and stayed overnight a couple nights um, to hawk these Canadian Tire credit cards. Um, and we were supposed to do like a blitz. So it was like a 12 hour, I think like a, a 10 hour day, something like that, or an 11 hour day. And you're just hawking, 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 and like seeing how many sales you come up with. It was like a blitz for a couple of days. Right. And I did okay. Um, and, and it was really these, these um, Canadian tires, uh, gas stations were very busy, especially like if they had like a, a, a sale on or something like that. So I would get cars like lined up at this, at this gas station in Sudbury. And I remember there was a whole line of people and there was this elderly man who was probably between 75 and 85, at least 80, let's, let's say, okay. And I could, at first I thought he was just old and there was nothing else beyond him just being old. But as I start talking to him, I can kind of tell he's like out of a little bit. He probably shouldn't be driving. He has his license, obviously, 
but it's probably not ethical for him to be driving because he's like I could tell he was like a little bit I hate to say off his rocker maybe senility or maybe just getting on in years but um he I I basically talked him into getting this credit card that he probably didn't need at the age of 80 and he goes he went into his I think he was like going to go um pick up his wallet or pick up um pick up something in his car and he cut his hand on the car and the lady who was behind me in the gas station knew that it was basically my fault that he had to reach back into the car and I was trying to hawk this thing on this 80 year old guy she went bonkers like she like these uh, red eyes of anger cut through my throat like I I wanted to run I had to run away and take lunch and hide like kind of cool down and keep away from the (laughs) keep away from the um from the from the gas station the pumps for a little bit because people were livid and actually made complaints to the, to the, to the gas station um attendee oh, man. that i was doing this and i'm like you know what i'm hired by this company and this is my job and it's and it's so it's there is a dark side to sales and that's you, what you were you were shelly levine in that moment i was right? shelly no i was worse than shelly i've never i was i've never friend i've never killed your, an old man i was your friend will <laughs> Oh my god! I was your friend. That's pretty that bad. That is really um, bad. I didn't say that, by the way. Don't tell Will I spoke about him on the show. <laughs> no, but seriously though, um, I I wanted to talking about the dark side. We we started off with such an amazing film, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, and the always be closing line. And and the next one I want to talk about is really the dark, even darker, um, sleazier side, which is Wolf of Wall Street. And basically what it is, is this, um, this, this um, young investor um, portrayed by Leonardo DiCaprio, who starts off like in a very small company. And then after a while, the light bulb clicks on that if you, sh- if you sell this really shitty penny stock and like over inflate the price and, and try and convince, you know, your buyers that, the, that it's, you know, of a, such a value that it's, that it's where you're actually overvaluing the stock you can like basically dump this terrible, terrible penny stock on people and make a fortune. And, and there's uh, no regulation at that time, I yeah, believe. Yeah. No. Yeah. So does anyone want to jump in with their thoughts? Yeah, of, I, uh, I think uh, the Wolf of Wall Street, um, like the whole, it's kind of the exact opposite of Glengarry Glen Ross. It, it's always a sunny day. Man, these guys are having a great time selling people these bullshit stocks. Uh, you know, like they're having parties. They've got, you know, they're hiring midgets and party entertainers. Throwing them at the wall, like, right? They're throwing the midgets with the with yeah, the yeah. on them. Like, yeah. Well, do you know what they're doing? Stuff like that. And 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 the Wolf of Wall Street is what uh, sales like that atmosphere of partying and excitement and money like so much fucking money um, that's yeah. the attitude and that that your employers are always trying to instill on you it's like this yeah, is the lifestyle you know but the it's key difference like, there yeah so alex you're exactly right and i and you just actually brought up a great point which is so the key difference with that and glenn gary get glenn ross is one you're seeing the on the ground salespeople who who it's like a burn and turn revolving door if they don't do well they're out the other one owns the company mm-hmm. and because if the movie was focused on 
maybe some of the the individuals who had to like do the daily struggles i'm sure we would have seen that dark side as well because for for us it's like imagine imagine showing a video of like us grinding it out at cottage country and then one of like the owner of cottage country with like his butt i mean i'm sure he didn't rage i feel like he wasn't a rager but yeah (laughs) but he he could have been if if he wanted to like he was doing well so it would have been like the contrast between those two right and like yeah i feel it i feel like if you're like running the show uh and you're and you know that you can like bring in a salesperson to replace another one at any time there's way less stress involved absolutely yeah there's there's no question i mean the the difference here is definitely the perspective of the movie uh glenn gary glenn mm-hmm. ross is shot is yeah shot from the perspective of the guys that are on the brink of losing their jobs yeah. then this yeah. this one is is this guy that that caught fire at exactly the right time and a lot of the best sales people that i know you know if i have an honest conversation with them like why is it that you caught fire like nobody else at this company they'll tell you straight up it's about being hired at the right time you know Timing it's like is yeah, everything yeah. Yes, there's a little bit of, of your, your sales skill. Actually, that's a, that's a big part of it, being yeah. able to uh, socialize comfortably with people and get people to trust you and, yeah. and tell them stuff is part of it. But a, but a much bigger part of it is you got on board at the time where the pastures were green and like the leads were good and everything like that well that's that's the thing it's 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 like in glengarry they're always getting crappy leads and it's only the top performing sales guys that get the good leads which i understand what they're trying to do is trying to say it's the the attitude of the sales manager or the boss whoever whatever their title is is saying you know what you need to be you need to build up enough character enough skill and enough talent if you can sell these crappy leads we'll make it a little bit easier on you by giving you these good leads and it, and then you get on a, on a momentum of sort of an upswing right when you get the good leads that are wrapped up in this nice little pink package right but it's when you have crappy lead after crappy lead after crappy lead um, that there's issues and one of the things that i'm responsible for at homestars which is an amazing company to work for i couldn't be happier there um, i'm super happy at this company and our salespeople are fantastic we've had a little bit of turnaround um, but I mean, everywhere's having turn around right now. It is the great resignation still. So I, at the end of the day, like I am, I'm thrilled with our salespeople. Um, and I'm responsible for giving, giving them leads. So even though I don't have quota against me, I don't have, like, as I said, I don't get like commission. I may get a bonus at the end of the year, but other than that, my, my, you know, week to week paycheck is pretty stable, but I still have targets against me where I want to deliver not only a volume of leads, but like quality leads right because that's definitely Mm -hmm. part of it that's definitely part of the the pressures especially if you're working as a lead generation person as well sometimes those roles are segmented you have just the guys or or gals on the phone sometimes you have people who are just outside sales and then they do a little bit of inside sales sometimes you have people who are just about lead generation my job is lead generation through um through advertisements 
Um, but yeah, it's like the quality of the leads. And if you don't have good leads, it'll bring you down. And there's, and there may be other people at play. Um, I think what's interesting about Glenn Gary is that it was them. And this, as you said, Alex, this like dark stormy weather, just looking at these shitty fucking leads that they got from their boss. And like, you feel it, you're like, you're up against all odds. And we're in the other one. It's, it's everyone else is being fucked over by Leonardo DiCaprio and his team, because they are the ones getting, the shitty end of the stick because they're buying up these terrible, terrible stocks. Um, and, and his fiance actually calls him out at one point. He goes, she goes, basically, are you selling people like crappy stocks? And he, and he basically said, yeah, but whatever. And he made like this big excuse about it. You guys know the scene where I'm talking about where she clues into like what she, what he's actually doing his girlfriend or whatever. And, and he just basically like shrugs it off and then they, they ship off to their next, you know, destination um so yeah it's 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 really a film where everything is bright and sunny and you see like the the amazing side of it and the exciting side of it and definitely the drug use heavy side of it but at the same time it's like the dark side of it because really if you think about what they're doing is they're screwing other people over um you couldn't make that much money unless you were screwing someone right so it's it's pretty there are some bad angles out there unfortunately it's about uh, like it's about timing in terms of like having those green pastures, untouched leads, being with a company at that point, and then also being with companies that have some sort of access to some sort of a loophole, right? Yeah. And, and I think the yeah. Wolf of Wall Street is a great example of that, where like there was a period of time where they had they found this like legal loophole where they could it was like a, a money printing machine. And there have definitely been times with certain companies that, I, that I've worked for where it's like, oh my God, this is amazing. I can't believe nobody's figured this out. And you're just making tons and tons of money. And then like two weeks later, somebody comes in. It's like, no, 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 no. Shut this shit down. This is not good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah uh, and I, even, yeah. So go ahead, Alex. Uh, yeah. Like like there's there's those situations as well where where you can sort of just catch fire because you've got that loophole. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was gonna I was gonna say also like the the method of communication as well because um, I mean I guess that is another differentiator with like uh, the burn and turn stuff and then stuff that's that's client facing is is vastly different. So like. Uh, so back to like selling for listings site, um, you're not really going and meeting anybody face to face. It's all, it's all cold calling over the phone and cold calling, uh, back, man, that was a decade ago, right? At at that company, Alex. Yeah. Which is crazy. Now it's like, (laughs) I can't believe that. But, um, yeah, like a decade ago, calling somebody on the phone to sell something. I mean, it's still wasn't as kosher as it was even five years before that but like it still is night and day compared to today like i don't know if i don't even know does that company still have people like pounding the phones in the same way no no I, that that company disappeared like a couple of years after i left uh, maybe didn't one year they, didn't they get acquired i don't i don't know i mean like like cottagecountry.com as far as i know doesn't exist anymore. oh yeah yeah I, but they but it just changed names they actually got they got acquired okay they, yeah so i think it's like holidays rental holiday rentals or something um something like that but they 
as far as I know, they still have people like calling. That's so like, the, yeah, that's the best they could hope for. <laughs> like, yeah, I know because like it, with a, with a website like that, like you just can't go meet people face to face because it's just you're trying to call cottage owners right all over the world, all over Canada. So so I think like by I'm sure sure you guys have been sold duck cleaning a thousand times over oh, this yeah, year already. Yeah, a day yeah. doesn't go by where I don't get one of those uh, duck cleaning calls for sure. Yeah. And that's like a big running joke. Everybody knows about it. So like those types of things really weren't around a decade ago. And I think now just by nature, everyone just knows what a telemarketer is. And it's very hard for them to stay on the phone. So like, I can't imagine what it would be like to try to do what we were doing a decade ago today. Like it would just feel so awkward to call somebody. Yeah. 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 It's, it's true. I mean, like, only the sketchiest like African call centers or Indonesian call centers yes, are still yes. saying that shit. And they're getting paid yes. like pennies an hour. You know, and this goes yes. back to our this goes back to our bullshit jobs episode, which I do if listeners, if you have made it to this point in, in so far in the last hour, definitely if you have more time, jump on the podcast and check out the bullshit jobs episode because there is a bit of an overlap here. So I just want to plug that episode. A little bit because it's like yeah it's exactly what you're saying it's the scam callers the air duct cleaning people um i remember talking about a guy you know who would there was a news article that i saw about 10 years ago about a sales guy who sold real estate and ended up selling this old uh elderly couple uh swampland and they thought it was legitimate land in um in florida and it ended up just being like a part of a swamp and so there are, there are on it it's, it's pretty fucked up. And there are people out there who will fake invoices or sell to the elderly or, or like people that are not fit decision makers or people that will do like the pump and dump or just, you know, buy up terrible stock and then, and then, you know, sell it at a much higher value, kind of like in, um, well, a lot of people in the stock market kind of situations like in uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and then there's, and then just kind of wrapping up, well, not wrapping up, but moving on to one of another, one of my favorites, I'm pretty sure you, I don't know, Alex, you said you hadn't seen it recently, Ian, I'm, sh- if you haven't seen it, I'm very surprised. Um, wall street, not the wolf of wall street, just wall street with, um, Charlie Sheen, Martin Sheen, um, Michael Douglas and others. <laughs> You've seen wall street, right? <laughs> Etc. Et yeah. Yes. It's a great movie. It's no, it's a great movie. And, and I don't it, know it, a single person who has not seen that movie. And Gordon, nah. Gordon, Gordon <laughs> Gecko, whatever his name is, is it Gordon Gecko? Is that his full name? Yeah. Anyways, he is like this conniving, like sales, like evil genius, man. Like he is, he is, I would argue that he's even less, oh, sorry. He's even more um, immoral than Leonardo DiCaprio's character and he and he basically manipulates Charlie Sheen's character, who's like maybe like in his early 30s at the oldest in that movie, who's just trying to like work his way up in sales. But he gets he gets in the he's in the wrong place at the wrong time and gets sucked into the web of um of uh, is, that, and, is that Charlie Sheen or Martin Sheen? Sorry, did I say Martin Sheen? It's Charlie Sheen is the sales. I'm so sorry if I misquoted that. Charlie, oh no, you did say, you said Charlie Sheen, but I was yeah, just Charlie wondering. Sheen, Charlie Sheen is the kid. And then his father in the movie is, is, is all the, also his father in real life. That's oh Martin yeah, Sheen. yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And, yeah. And so, sorry, and, sorry about that. No, no. It's, it's all good. Both father and son are in this one. 
Um, and then again, Michael Douglas playing like the evil Gordon Gecko, and he basically, you know, Gecko's character, who's this like huge, huge, like uh, hugely successful, enormous um, sales guy, like top of his game, like pretty much like owning multiple companies, this and that. He basically like blindsides this up and coming sales guy and basically only uses him and strings him along and all this sort of stuff in order to get to kind of get close to his father, who was like the head of the union, like the head of the workers union at this, um, um, what do you call it? Airline company in order for him to like buy up this airline company, shred it apart, and then just like sell off all the bad parts of the company. He was basically trying to take over this airline company and using Charlie Sheen to get to his, to his dad. And so it's, it's a, it's an excellent movie and talks about, again, talking about the darker side of Wall Street. Yeah, those loopholes that Alex was talking about. Yeah. I find, I find honestly, like, everyone, everyone's trying to find a loophole in one way or another, right? Um, and, like, very, it's like, every, uh, there's a lot of these, like, videos, like, like, helping start, or, like, how to start passive income companies and all this stuff that's like popping up during COVID. There's so much of this content now on, oh shoot, on uh, YouTube. And uh, so, so with each one of these things, it's like these loopholes to try to, to try to make money. Right. So like, I find like, yeah, like successful business people usually got there from at least through jumping through a few loopholes right to try to figure out how to make money different ways and like even alex like i don't know if you want to talk about your uh your side company i don't even know if you still do that but you told me about a pretty innovative company that you started which is a great idea like i mean that's that's essentially just a loophole right like you just saw yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast before, but what I, what I do is I, I rent, um, I rent a giant refrigerator out to small businesses, food trucks, um, weddings, you know, different events and stuff like that. And basically like I found, I found a new technology that not many people know about where you can basically turn an air conditioner, like a window shaker air conditioner into um, like into a, a refrigerator and like build like you know it takes a lot of like technical ability and problem solving to do but like if you're able to do that nobody else offers that right and uh, and so you know it's been a, a good opportunity for myself to get into because like literally nobody else does it nobody has the technical ability to do it and and even the people that are in that field are chasing much bigger fish. Like they're, they're going af after like the corporate clients for large refrigeration solutions. Nobody's going after the little guys with like small refrigeration solutions, right? Mm -hmm. so, so yeah, it's like there's this little niche loophole that nobody's quite servicing and, and my skills and abilities happen to suit that niche. So, so yeah, it's, it's, well, I, wouldn't, I would characterize that as a loophole necessarily because when, when you say the word loophole, I more I more so think about legal loopholes that these people um, find where they can like get away with things. Whereas you, what you're doing is you're solving a problem for a very niche no, I, market. 
I think I think they're they're like yeah. I mean, loophole. It's kind of hard to to define it exactly, yeah. but I, um, yeah. Okay. And I think it's like just it's thinking outside the box, but yeah, still within yeah. the legal limits. Yeah. Because technically, what those people are doing is legal. In you know what I mean? Like it's it's like this fine line, right? Yeah. And yeah. it's almost like watching the like the some of these trials right that are that are happening uh today and there's all kinds of controversy around it yeah um at the end of the day it's like it's very dependent on your lawyer it's dependent on who you hire for litigation to like go through this stuff with a fine-tooth comb because Kyle Rittenhouse is acquitted on everything but then somebody is who's who's doing something much less and was was put into another like bad situation yeah. uh will go to jail for like 30 years just because they didn't have a lawyer who was able to figure out i guess i i don't want to say loophole then like uh they're they're just very knowledgeable about the system yeah. and can can work their way around it uh um, yeah and I mean, yeah. like like discovering a new technology and bringing that to the forefront that that gives you this like huge edge that nobody else has like that's not considered a loophole i guess but in a way yeah. it kind of is because all of a sudden you have this extra advantage that nobody else has right Ex well, yeah actually that's it like finding that extra advantage and mm -hmm. i find like i think i think kind of what we're talking about is is the same kind of thing in, in a sense of like, and that's kind of what, what I was getting at is like, there's this massive sliding scale, right? So I think all of us in one way or another are trying to find those things. And like with these videos exploding now during COVID, man, there's like millions of views on these things. And it's like nine best ways to make passive income or how to start like uh, a, a website or, or whatever it is. And each one of these has millions of views because these people want to tap into something that the, that's not common knowledge. And I feel like there's like that end of it. And then the most extreme version is what we're discussing now from like Wall Street. It's yeah, like these I, people, I, yeah, have like built their way up doing that through so many different things. Now that like, imagine the same level of intuitiveness trying to figure out a loophole but you have 60 million dollars and you know every top lawyer and you own like six massive corporations in finance you but you have the same thinking that you have right now trying to figure out that refrigeration system you would probably be thinking way closer to the lines of like the financial legalities right yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think what you're talking about are two different things here. I think there's the, the people who potentially fake the invoices. Like they, I know, and, and one of our friends is guilty of it, Alex, um, where they would Who's like that? falsify. I Who, can't say the name, name, name him. first name. and last name. I need it. I will, I will, I will, dis <laughs> I will disclose this information after the, the recording light has turned off. Thank you very much. Faking but, uh, invoices? No, you know, How does that work? We know that uh, that people, you know, at, at the end of the day, people do sleazy things. It could be faking an invoice and putting through an invoice for something that never really was sold through properly or or misleading a client or omitting information in the sales pitch and then having them dot on that 
sorry, sign on that dotted line for additional things that they don't know that they're signing for there. That's like the, you know, the illegal or at least highly immoral side of things, um, which is, which is dark. But then I think what you're kind of, you guys are sort of talking about, at least with Alex's situation is more innovative. I think of that as innovative. You you're solving a problem with this technology where you have to solve this technical, this complex, I might add, technical problem and you're finding a niche market with this technology that you've that you you know discovered and you're giving a service to someone in a niche market who needs it i you know i i don't i again i wouldn't refer that as much as a loophole as i would just being innovative and solving a problem yeah Yeah. and like your your moral compass sits on top of the innovation and looking for for ways to to do things differently right so like I think, yeah, sitting on top of that is like your moral compass. Yeah. What, what, because I, I think that's massively important. And it's funny, the rich dad, poor dad, 10 sort of commandment, commandments, if you will, like what I explained earlier, one of them is learning how to sell. And another one is actually um, having like sound morals that you stick to. So like very consistent morals that you will not, will not break. And that's it's like a conundrum in sales. You're not, you're not gonna like fuck anybody over. Well, because really. oftentimes you have like like you are sort of like going by your sort of moral compass, but then you have other people that are like fuck morals, you know, and then they will surpass you in every way. It's kind of a tortoise in the hair so, situation. Yeah, but then but you have the option to leave that organization mm-hmm. and join another one that has a product that's that you actually believe in, right? So if you yeah. constantly are sticking to this these morals, you're gonna you're you're going to probably land on something where the cust you do you will be more successful because you're working with customers in a more empathetic way, yeah. and you're actually you're- able to help people with real services. It's such a it's such a great point because when I when I left Cottage Country, I was talking to a friend about this, and he said. He said, yeah, when you are doing something that goes against your morals, you will be miserable. And yeah. how, like, how can you be successful if you're miserable? Um, yeah. And that, like, that just like really hit the nail on the head for me. I'm like, okay, I have to, like whatever I do in life, I need to do what I feel is morally correct. And, and yeah. by, by doing that, I'm going to find... Um, you know, jobs and businesses that, that I can stick with long-term rather than short-term where I just burn out. Yeah. Yeah. And you're developing this, like you're working on skills that probably are more aligned with stuff you actually enjoy doing. Um, you actually feel like this is the, the biggest thing. You actually feel like you're developing a purpose and you're, you're becoming better at offering an actual service. And once you start doing that, you start becoming like more of like a giver rather than a taker. And you start developing a real meaning and purpose, which is, which is incredibly important because the, what happens with people who don't do that and maybe they're, they get lucky. They landed at a sales job within this like window where they're able to like burn and turn a lot of sales and they just get a bunch of money. What happens to those people is what happens to pretty well 50% of the people, which is you hit this midlife crisis at like 50 years old. And that midlife crisis is just, uh, 
it's a complete disconnect from meaning and purpose. They don't know what they're supposed to be doing with their life. But if you figure that out a lot earlier and you either, you, you in, one, in one way, shape or form, like leave a company that isn't aligned with your morals or who you actually are. And then you start slowly, like patience is a virtue as well. So you start slowly like mm-hmm. joining another company, learning mm-hmm. a new skill, developing real purpose that's just going to become exponentially greater and you're going to actually be like giving back. And then you can also start like branching out. You can like write about it, right? You can maybe create your own company around it. You'll be, you'll start connecting with people who are in the same field. Like it, you, it starts becoming a lot more about who you are rather than just this one product. Yeah, 100%, 100%. And I think I think a lot of that is just, you know, believing in the core of, of what your company offers, like you said. And one of the things I love about Homestar is when I do the marketing, I mean, I'm not on the phones doing sales, but as I said, I am supporting these sales guys by running lead generation digital advertising, trying to fill the top of the sales funnel and warm up these leads. So by the time that a salesperson talks to them, they're already warm. They already know what's going on with our brand. And I, I believe in the product because what Homestars does, again, I love this company, um, is they solve a real problem. A lot of people, especially if they're a first-time homeowner or a first-time renovator of their own home, is that they'll hire the wrong people for the wrong type of job or just the wrong people in general when it comes to, you know, maybe electricians or, or plumbers or roofers. And the list goes on, you know, general contractors doing renovations. Um, and you actually lose a lot of money if you don't hire the right people and then you get in a fight with them and they, they walk out on the contract, the job's not done. Um, they have material sitting around that they haven't, you know, tiled that they haven't installed and you've purchased all that material, right? And people get burned, right? And so what my company, what my company does is we link up, you know, we have a very, very robust, um, you know, rating, I guess you'd call it like rating system or like a, a database full of, of these, these contractors who have been... Um, rated and they've been vetted and they've been given a score and you know what you're getting into when you contact our um, pros because they have gone through this process and 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 I feel confident that um, like we're good at detecting like fake reviews and stuff like that so what you see on the website is legit and you and we're actually helping homeowners save money by picking the right people up for the right job and we're also helping these these contractors grow their business and get more homeowner leads so I love my product and that's why I feel good about what I do. But I think, you know, Ian, if you don't love what you do, that's, that's gonna, it's gonna have a, an, an effect on you and it may affect your moral compass as well. Yeah. So you, so you go home at the end of every day, like feeling like you've actually contributed to society and you're not just taking a paycheck. You're actually giving something back to, <clears throat> to people making their lives better. Yeah. An yeah, and it goes, goes back to our hilarious because at uh, cottagecountry.com, uh, me and, and some friends of mine, we would always make this joke uh, where we'd be like, you know, we're, we're just here helping people, you know, and then we would all <laughs> like, break up laughing. <laughs> like, I'm here because I want to help people. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, th- the thing is, that was a joke. Yeah. yeah, and you will, you will become the best salesperson on the team if you actually feel that way and you will 
you'll just be so happy, right? And you'll go home and you'll talk about your successes. Even if you're not succeeding, you're going to go put in the time to figure out how to succeed because you just love it. And the yeah, bosses yeah. will see that as well. And, yeah. and they'll pro and if, and if it's something that is actually that valuable, I'm sure the people around you will have a different sense of like um, uh, morale and, yeah. and everything else. I mean, there's one particular instance that I, I remember from, from working uh, there where it was, there, there was this, when I first joined, I did fairly well. And actually, even when I was, was let go, I was second in the, on the board with, with sales. I was, I was really just let go because I was, I, I was kind of bored and I would just wanted to have some fun and boost the morale. Like I wanted to like have this pool system and help people out to like be happier rather than just literally being sent emails all day long to pound the phones. I'm like, that's not how you make connections. Like that's not how you develop good salespeople. Yeah, it's yeah. to help them out. And like, how awesome would it be if somebody said like right out of the gate, like, just to let you know, it's going to be kind of difficult with like this patch of clients because uh, they've literally been hounded on the phone. Maybe we can try to figure this out together, a more like empathetic approach to, to calling some of these people, be more strategic. Also to let you know, if you make a bunch of sales right out of the gate, that's not going to last. Yeah. So it's, it would be smart to like, maybe invest some of these, this money in case there's like slow, uh, in case there's like dips or whatever. I find like as a sales manager with first time salespeople in a role that's so unpredictable, that is part of your job. And I feel like something like that would have been so impactful, but like <clears throat> what had happened was you get in there and there's all these like super miserable people who like have been there for such a long time and are like on the cusp of being like, go. And it's so obvious and they're sitting right beside you. And you're like, fuck, this is really sad. And like, man, this one time I was, yeah, I was like doing fairly well. <clears throat> and I would like crack jokes and stuff with, with your, your, you guys know, Will. So him and I literally sat like right beside each other. And that's how we became so tight. Like we met at cottage country. And I'm like, oh, you like this type of comedy? I like this type of comedy. We would joke, joke around all day. But the people who weren't doing well and really were like internalizing it fucking hated us for that. And there was this guy that sat behind me and he was like a bit of a lunatic. Like <clears throat> he had kids and he was like not doing well at sales and he was literally on like probation. So all day long, he was just like, Ian, can you shut the fuck up? And I'm like, whoa, dude, I've been here like a month. You're supposed to be the senior representation. And I remember this one time I'm there. We had this like glass in front of us and it separated the person in front of you. And I was looking at this reflection uh, because I could see him. And he just told me he was going to fucking like kill me. <laughs> so <laughs> this, this. Yes. He's like, Ian, if you don't shut the fuck up, something bad is going to happen to you. And Jeez. I'm like, wow. And this is at the beginning of the day. So all day long, I'm not looking, I'm pretending I'm looking at my computer, but I'm staring at the glass like oh this, my the God. look at the reflection of this guy, John. And I'm like, oh my God, if he stands up, like, and sometimes he would like stand up and grab something. And I'm like, <laughs> like that. 
it was so nerve wracking and I didn't make a single joke that day. And then at the end of the day, the girl that's just across from me in the glass comes over to me. She's like, I, and so you've been staring at me the entire day. (laughs) (laughs) She, she's like, I was going to go tell Mark, but like, I wanted to come talk to you first. Like, is there she's like I'm, I'm with I'm with somebody like I'm married and she's like <clears throat> I'm like oh my god I'm so sorry Lisa <laughs> I'm like I'm like sorry uh John I'm looking at his reflection because he just said he's gonna kill me <laughs> crazy man guys I got I'm so sorry I gotta wrap it up because like honestly side story I stubbed my toe today I kid you not and it is killing I need to put some ice on it um but but, man you gotta push through the pain man i can't i can't anymore i just i can't i can't um but no this has been great this has been wonderful i i've loved talking about wall street wolf of wall street as well as glenn gary glenn ross we'll have to do another episode just because we didn't get to to jerry Maguire or margin call there's a ton of great ones out there but uh yeah it's like some days you're like the guys in the rain like just they they want to go and just you know, drown their sorrows in some beer because they got the crappy leads from like the head office. Someday you're, some days yeah. you're that guy. And then some other days you're like Leonardo DiCaprio, just like on top of the world with your private, you know, um, yacht and all this sort of stuff. So it's, it really is an up and down industry for sure. And uh, lots of great films on it. I mean, definitely you can go on Netflix or Crave TV and there's a ton of great movies um so guys thank thank you again um for an excellent episode glad to have you back ian appreciate your time yeah thanks for having me and yeah we'll have to to do another episode around sales because we just have so much to say and there's a lot of great hollywood flicks out there but for now uh remember like and subscribe on the facebook page listen to us on spotify the lockdown lowdown and stay tuned for some new exciting content every week. But for now, this is Ian, Alex, and Andrew signing off.